This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And now, Christ and Pop Culture presents Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson. everyone. I'm Erin Straza, and with me is Hannah Anderson. We're your hosts for Persuasion, the place where fine ladies, rational minds, and the best kind of company gather to discuss all sorts of ideas and issues. Today's episode of Persuasion is sponsored in part by LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible, a translation that presents the truth of God's Word with accuracy and clarity. The CSB equips today's readers for lifelong discipleship with hundreds of designs to choose from at csbible.com. I'll get all of that information about the CSB posted in the show notes for you to catch up on later, because right now it's time to press into the next conversation with our special guest today. We have a guest, Catherine Freeman is with us, and she's here to help us move our series forward. We're in the middle of a series called For God and Country, and we've been tackling a variety of ways that faith and politics collide. The aim here is to gain some clarity in how we think about and hold to our political perspectives and views. And it has been such a great series so far, so challenging. I'm so glad to have the fine ladies, Hannah and Catherine. I'm so glad you are here to help us dig in a bit deeper here. Well, I'm thrilled to have Catherine on too. Um, Catherine, thanks for being with us. Thank you for having me. Now, for those of you who don't know Catherine, you should. I mean, like, your life will be better if you know her. Definitely. I don't mean to guilt you into (laughs) not knowing her. But um, I've gotten to know Catherine through the Christ and Pop Cultures Members Forum and as writers um, for CAPC. But I think what I love most, um, Catherine, is your Twitter presence. I really just enjoy following you. Thank you. That's so kind. I Yeah, I work really hard to make Twitter an edifying place. Sometimes okay, I'm like- sorry. Can we stop? <laughs> Can we stop? Yeah. I feel like I'm swimming upstream most of the time, but that is, yeah, that's what I'm, I'm striving for in my Twitter presence. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's amazing that you are able to do that, Catherine, because I love following you and I love following the conversations. Yeah, no, it's I mean, it's definitely a hard in medium for that because I think, you know, you're limited to 240 characters and right. there are lots there are lots of people that uh see Twitter as a place to argue with strangers on the internet. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, I just think, you know, I have been maybe so influenced um just by um people in my life and then people I follow. And then I think even just as I'm in seminary, that all of who we are, every aspect of life, um, should come under the head of what does it mean to be a disciple and follower of Christ. And so um, I take that really seriously when it comes online, because increasingly, for better or worse, um, that's a part of our lives. Like that is that's not a separate 
thing. And so, you know, my own personal philosophy is if you're mean on Twitter, you're mean in real life. (laughs) And if you're kind in Twitter, you're kind in real life because that is real life. And like that you are giving people both an idea about who you are, but also who God is and who God has called us to be in the world. And so um, I don't think of that separate as if you were to encounter me in the grocery store or a Target. So that's how that's my personal philosophy of social media. Well, that really comes through in how you engage, Catherine, because I see you as um, as I hear you, like in our conversations, because you've been on Persuasion before and we've talked before because of our connections with Christ and pop culture. And so I know your heart and I can hear your voice like as I'm reading your tweets and, and listening to the dialogue you have there. So I'm able to filter that through who I know you to be. But in that same vein, you are kind, and yet it's not like you're shying away from tough topics. And so I also feel like there's a a manner and a way in which you engage that is real, meaning it runs the spectrum. It's, it's, It's the fun things of life and it's the hard things of life. And I really appreciate that. I just see the fullness of who you are and what you're passionate about all right there on Twitter. So we'll make sure that everyone can follow you and get part of that. But I would say the way you engage is also not the norm for the way most people engage, not just with social media, but with politics. I see a lot of people who either um, that's all they talk about or um, they think they shouldn't talk about it. And so there's almost a response sometimes um, that that's not something that should be part of our social media presence. Um, Like you should think what you think and vote the way you vote and believe what you believe, but don't ask, don't tell. Um, And I think that's one of the risks of social media in this, this moment too, is that it would be really tempting to go silent on things just for the sake of not being political, you know, quote unquote political. Yeah, no, I mean, I think there's a temptation for that. And I think even for me, I think as someone who's worked in politics for 10 years, you know, it's like, uh, do I want to invite this conversation? But, you know, I think of it as um, if it is something I have convictions about. And I think also too, like, if it's something that, um, yeah, because I think politics, again, is part of our life. It's part of what it means to be a disciple. And I feel like for me, there's so many people that don't have access to the same information or experience that I have. And um, it makes me think of that, you know, line in The Great Gatsby. It's like, well, not everyone knows the things that you know. And so, like, if God has gifted you with some, like, form of knowledge or, I mean, even just our convictions, why wouldn't I share those? And I think, um, you know, but I want to share them in a way that I'm inviting you into a conversation um, to learn maybe something you haven't read or thought about from this perspective um, before. And so, yeah, I'm not I'm definitely not afraid to engage, but I also think I would say that I'm also very judicious on even the policy issues I do engage um because I try to think, you know, like again, like am I adding to the conversation or is this just like more noise? And then I think yeah, I want this to be a conversation. Well, I think it's interesting too um as you share that you do have a background in public policy and you do have knowledge that should be added to the conversation. And I've found that to be ca- be the case in following you, just learning from you and hearing the perspective that you bring. Um, but zooming out a bit, I think that's one of the tensions or the critiques that I hear sometimes of 
political discussion online or in um, the media is that some people can speak to politics and other people can't. Like if you're a celebrity, well, you shouldn't engage in politics. Or if you're a, a pro athlete, you should, what was it? You should shut up and dribble or something is the kind of spirit toward certain people engaging um, in politics. Like there are people who can talk about politics and then there are people who are not allowed to talk about politics. Um, Do you have any thoughts as you've seen that happen? Yeah, no, I think that's wrong. And I will say it's as wrong for the celebrity as it is for the housewife, right? So as much as I have my own like experience and have worked in that, I think if you are a citizen of this country, if you turn on your lights, if you drink water from the tap, if you drive roads, if you send your kids to school, even if someone drives you on the road, if you take Uber (laughs) everywhere you need to go, politics touches your lives. And so you should have, you know, some maybe, so maybe you don't have like the level of expertise and information that, you know, maybe someone like me or someone who, you know, is an elected official has. But this idea that citizens shouldn't have a say on something that touches their lives um, seems a little, um, yeah, it's like kind of elitist and presumptuous. But then it also is like, um, yeah, we're all citizens and this this is a thing that touches all of our lives. And so um, we should have an opinion and we should um, be able to voice that based on our own experience. And so um, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, I have to go with whatever you're saying your experience is or whatever the thing is that you want. But this idea that like certain people are disqualified from speaking about government that touches their lives as much as, as, much as it touches your life Um yeah, it seems it's a little like uh, elitist, and so that I thought would be that my same say. thing, Catherine. I I feel like it's um it's almost saying, well, somebody is a gatekeeper of who gets to say things and when they get to say them, and then if somebody who isn't approved has stepped out of line, then the gatekeeper says, oh no no no, <laughs> you aren't allowed in in this time or this space to basically participate as a citizen in our collective common good. And that's very bothersome to me because then your engagement is limited based on somebody who's making up some sort of rule and who knows where they got those rules. It just feels it feels like it diminishes the conversation. It diminishes participation in public life. And that just feels very oppressive and and wrong. Um, but it's interesting to me, though, because I, I think when people talk about or say things like, don't be so political, or they don't want certain people to be so political, I feel like it's this compartmentalizing. Like, I, I'm in a certain space, and I don't want this space invaded by things that make me uncomfortable or politics. And I wonder if it's more a sense of, like, I want a place where I don't have to feel challenged. And and that's why there's this sense of, like, we need a gatekeeper because we want places where we, I don't know, can live in an unrealistic world where things aren't a challenge. I don't know. What do you think about yeah. that? 
No, I mean, I think that's right. Because it's only some people, right? Like, we wouldn't mind hearing from athletes or celebrities or, you know, our neighbors when they agree with us, you know? And so it is like, it is, we become these sort of gatekeepers and want to shut down these conversations. Well, you don't have enough information or you don't have the right to speak on that when it's something I don't agree with. So I'm more interested in my own safety and comfort than um, actually in kind of engaging in conversation and a dialogue. And I think the problem is, is that makes you um, your own understanding of your core convictions, I think in some ways weaker, because if you can't take in new information um, or you can't um, listen to someone who thinks differently or is approaching an issue differently than you, um, really, to me, I've, I wonder like about the strength of your own position and your own understanding, because really it's like you don't want to engage in a conversation because you know, oftentimes you can't because you haven't thought about this this deeply. It's just the thing you've always been taught or it's the thing you've always believed or, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that part of like learning and being for the common good and living in community is that everybody has a say and everybody to say that you're created in the image of God is to say that you're worth listening to, even if I don't agree. And we come at this at different places. It does actually make my my understanding and the strength of my oftentimes coming from a lawyer perspective, it does make the strength of my argument in persuading you stronger when I understand where you're coming from. And I can say, have you, you know, I understand that you, your priority is clean water. Have you thought about it from this perspective? And so you know, having a conversation and listening is part of what it means to persuade people. And I think oftentimes, or at least where we are now in this culture is like, nobody wants to have a conversation. Nobody wants to be persuaded. And I think it, to me, it's like we silo ourselves off. And I think what we don't realize is maybe one of the unintended consequences is our argument for whatever that conviction is, um, has not run up against these differing realities. And so in some ways we're, we're harming our argument and, you know, if that makes sense. It almost reveals the insecurity of our stance where um, we can't listen to someone else. And so instead of um, actually engaging with what they're saying, we kind of put our ears, fingers in our ears and just go, la, 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 I can't hear you. Um, but I also thought you had a really good point about saying there's some people we will listen to and celebrate. Um, so if someone is on our side and they have social clout, whether through celebrity, through wealth, through power or fame, and they happen to agree with us, we will happily, happily put them forward as a testimony of how right our position is, because this powerful person agrees with what I'm saying, and they're powerful, and therefore my argument must be powerful because this person has become attached to it. But when it's a powerful person, whether by wealth or celebrity or status, is speaking in a way that's opposite to my position, I say, oh, you shouldn't be talking about this. You don't know enough. You're just an entertainer or you're just an athlete. And so it really does reveal a lot about ourselves and our own arguments about who we think is a valid person to be in conversation with. Yeah, no, I think that's 
accurate. And I think some, I think maybe it was like Jim Gaffigan or something. This thing about celebrities being, cause they're from Hollywood. Well, no one is from Hollywood. Like, you know, I think LeBron James is from Akron, Ohio, you know? And so his experience growing up, you know, maybe his voting or his positions or core convictions. And, and you think about how formative childhood is, was formed in blue collar working class Akron, Ohio. And yes, he's a millionaire, probably on his way to being a billionaire and most famous athlete on the planet. But like to say that he can't speak to his experience as, you know, a kid growing up in a working class town and the kinds of policies that would have helped him and those that are still in Akron succeed. You know, I don't know. It's it's a little it's outside of the realm of possibility. And 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 I think that's what you want, right? Like that's the thing at least as Christians we always tell ourselves is like we are accruing influence so that we can speak on behalf of other people. So we can be a voice for the voiceless. And so in some ways, you know, LeBron James or, you know, pick your celebrity, are doing the thing in which we often say in the church, this is why you have influence, this is why you have wealth, and yet, will you be quiet because you're just an athlete? Like, <laughs> it's very contra- it's contradictory messaging. I, I think it requires some, also some self-awareness, some self-reflection, knowing that when we want certain conversations to happen in certain ways, there is that power struggle. But there's also, especially with celebrities and with with athletics and pro sports, there's a sense, this tension of, but I am supposedly paying you to entertain me, whether it's singing or playing sports or being in a movie, I'm paying you for that. So don't bring in anything else. And and I, I've seen this happen with um, actors where, let's say, they are voicing their opinions and their political stances, and it has nothing to do with their next film. But then on when their next film comes out, there are people who will say, well, I'm not going to watch that because that actor said these things and I don't agree with it. And I don't want to support that actor in this role because I don't agree with their politics. And so we're already saying that we cannot enjoy that art because that person said certain things. And yet we it's almost like we don't want them to be a full being. We just want them to be this thing that's out there that we're observing rather than a full-fledged person who who lives and breathes and actually is in the same country as we are. Like they they actually have to go get grocery. Well, maybe they have help to get groceries, but but they are interacting and and they are part of our community. And I think that it it, it has that dehumanizing aspect to it where we don't want them. It's almost like we don't want to admit that they're real people. Yeah, no. And I want to say, I'm going to try not to get too technical because I am coming off of classwork and this very issue. But that is bad theology. Um, This idea that you can separate who you are um, and the fullness of who you are is a heresy called Gnosticism. And this idea, so this idea that like, and I think it's fine. I mean, I will say, I don't want to say like, if you feel a very personal conviction 
like you don't want to see a movie like I'm not going to say anything is wrong with that but then to say I only want this part of you but this part of you is less valuable and only in this you know fake land of make-believe where you exist are you acceptable to me but not in the real world in which you live you're kind of separating the body and mind and soul in a way that God doesn't (laughs) in creation and creating you as a human being and so I would say yeah I agree it's totally um, dehumanizing and I think you know you know, it's fine to say, I don't agree with that. But then to say, you know, I pay you to entertain me so you can only be this. It is, yeah, this kind of bifurcation that it, you know, let's not use the word actor, but like, let's use husband. <laughs> like, you know, you're my husband. So I'm with you to do this. You can't do anything outside of that, um, that I don't agree with or anything outside of this house or family, because you are husband like you wouldn't do that um with anything outside of I think entertainment or uh professional sports and so I would just caution Christians to be very careful and thinking through that um because I I see that kind of separation of like um yeah I see that kind of separation as leading towards the heresy mm-hmm. it, it's definitely a consumption you know, kind of a consumptive mentality of another human being. And I've experienced it slightly um, in my work where when I have made more what has been deemed political statements, I have had some readers be very frustrated with me that I I come to you for a different kind of content. I don't come to you for political content. And you need to stick to uh, what you know. I mean, this is what blew blew my mind. It's like, you need to stick to what you know, which is the Bible. And I trust you to tell me what the scripture says, but I don't trust you to tell me or give me an opinion about politics. Um, so it was as if the Bible doesn't have anything to say about right. politics, about family, the environment. Right. That's hysterical. <laughs> So it was it was just kind of mind blowing for me that the person you actually trust to tell you what God's word says is not trustworthy if their opinion differs from what you have decided should happen in a certain policy situation. Um, so it, it is this very common thing, though. I mean, we've all seen it. We've maybe even experienced it. But I want to play devil's advocate for a moment. Okay, so we're all in agreement here and we're all enjoying being right. I'm enjoying it right now. Um, (laughs) But let's play devil's advocate. What about folks who are political for their own benefit? What about folks who, when they are political, um, they aren't harmed for it. They're actually rewarded for it. So whether it's a company that, you know, sees where public sentiment is going and so they do certain things with their marketing or they take certain stances um, that really aren't in any way meaningful, but they know that that's where public sentiment is right now. So they're going to be political, quote unquote, to gain from it or someone who's built their platform on political hot takes because they see where the public movement is happening and they move with it, either conservative or progressive. How are we to think about that? Um, Yeah, I would say that's bad too. Um, And I'm going to speak to maybe 
um, from a Christian, like for Christians, why it's bad, because I think politics is always something to be rooted in community. Um, it is an embodied way of loving your neighbor. And so if it is about your own personal gain, whether that's followers or finances, even if you're right, quote unquote, right on the issue, um, it's the same sort of thing. Like the ends don't justify the means. And so I would say, cause then you see, I mean, you see this, this perfectly with the Colin Kaepernick and the Nike thing where a lot of Nike marketing has gone into elevating Colin Kaepernick and saying, well, we stuck with him, you know, when the NFL dropped him and, you know, he's the civil rights leader and hero, but it really is mainly about selling Nike shoes and jerseys. <laughs> and, and you can see that. Um, and, you know, there've been story after story in the last year, I've probably read two or three stories about how, um, women athletes that are sponsored by Nike don't get pregnant, um, don't get pregnancy leave. So they don't get benefits if they're not running or participating in whatever sport while they're recovering from having their babies. There have been article after article about, you know, inequities within that company, whether it's racial or gender. And so even while they're raising this banner for Colin Kaepernick as this great civil rights leader, their company practices are very contrary to that message. And I think that's the danger of, Always when, you know, whether it's rooted in, in profit or just wanting to protect your own comfort or, or fear or fear or this idea of scarcity um, is that the truth always outs, you know. And so <laughs> this idea that you can only go so far with that. But then I also think when it's not embodied, when it's not rooted in communal community practices, you're on very shaky ground. <laughs> I agree with that. I, I think even with some of the corporate messaging and corporate marketing, the the dilemma is when we assume that whatever the message is coming out from corporate is exactly what's going on through and through. Like you said, there are all these nuances and there are these other issues that make it seem very hypocritical um, where this campaign is saying one thing, which is actually a very good thing. But if we assume that's all there is, yet we know there are all sorts of difficulties and problems behind the scenes. But which thing are we going to remember? It's probably going to be the the flashy campaign on the front end. And so that's the, the hard part is like, okay, we have to be aware and we have to understand that that is a marketing campaign. It's probably standing for a good thing. But like, like all other things, that's not all there is. And and to be aware of all the factors that play a part here and shape our opinion about it. Yeah. And I just, I would say one other thing is I think even if uh, calling out the hypocrisy of like Nike, I think also too doesn't negate Colin Kaepernick's message. And I think this, and I would say this generally about politics is I think at least where we are in this moment is like we're looking for any reason to dismiss information we don't want to take in. And so it's really easy to go to the, well, you're a hypocrite, like, oh, and NBA athletes are speaking out about Black Lives Matter, but nobody has said anything about China. And this is not to say that they're right for not speaking out about China, but it also is to say that, again, because we're human beings and we're fallen, none of our lives, if and if that was the measure in which anybody uh if that was a measure of how we decide who's worth listening to, all of us would have to be quiet and we would never hear anyone. And so I would say, I mean, I think to your point, like, I think it's these, 
recognizing it's a marketing campaign and being aware, but also not using hypocrisy as an excuse not to listen. Um, we just want to also be careful with that. I so This episode is brought to you in part by Beyond Ordinary Women Ministries, which prepares Christian women for leadership. At Bow, we believe that every woman is a leader because she influences someone. So whom do you influence? Do you mentor a woman, serve in the workplace, or do you lead a small group, teach the Bible, or even lead an entire ministry? No matter who or how many you influence, our free online resources will help equip you. Our videos, podcast episodes, and articles from experienced women leaders will encourage you and perfect your leadership skills. They offer wisdom for dealing with ministry pitfalls, current biblical issues, health for your own soul, and insights for shepherding others well. In addition, BOW offers Bible studies designed to connect women of multiple generations. They provide a challenge to both women new to the Bible and those wanting to dig deeper. Be our guest and browse all of our free resources and low-cost Bible studies at beyondordinarywomen.org. Appreciate, Catherine, what you're saying about who we listen to and the voices and the people um, don't have to be perfect. They don't have to be pristine for us to be able to learn and to be challenged. However, if I'm speaking and I'm engaging, you know, as a Christian, I don't want to excuse myself and say, well, I can say whatever I want to say and people just need to listen regardless. So like where there's this generosity toward other people, like there's, there's a grace that says, I'm going to listen to you maybe despite your inconsistencies because you do have things I need to say or learn. That same standard necessarily isn't how I uh, hold myself to. So I'm going to hold myself to a, a stricter standard about how I engage in conversation, what I choose to call out, what I decide uh, is worthy of my voice and debate. And I was just curious if you have like an internal um, paradigm or a logic to what you decide to engage with and to speak toward, as well as how to do that. Do you have like a, a filter or something that you check yourself by? Yeah. Um, so I try to, I mean, this might be a little different for other people just because of my own background. So I try to speak to issues which I know and have done research on. But more than that, I mean, I try to speak to issues that I think directly touch my community, right? Like where I, um, like my personal philosophy of advocacy and political engagement is it really should begin with like your local church, with your community and what are those needs. And so I think oftentimes the issues that I'm speaking about when I am talking about issues are things that I feel like directly are touching people I love and care about. And it's not, and, and that for me, that's what keeps me honest because I think if I spoke out about every little thing I had an opinion on, and believe me, I have a lot of opinions, <laughs> but if I, talked about all those things publicly, it would become quickly very partisan. I can see this in me, like, and I, you know, my own heart, it would all, always be about like winning and I'm just trying to own you and whatever. But when it's rooted in community for me, it's less about, okay, let me get this point rather than let me convince you because someone in my community is hurting. Like this is hurting someone. And so I'm not trying to like score points in some sort of political sense, I'm trying to, it's about the people and less about the politics 
itself. And so I think that sort of having that internal check of like, okay, I'm talking about this because I'm thinking about a specific person or a specific thing, sermon my pastor preached, or, you know, something we've talked about in class. And that's where I'm coming from rather than just kind of this abstract. And I think that has kept me grounded on like, what is my ultimate purpose and how is this edifying? And is this, yeah, a tool for discipleship or am I just adding to the noise? And then I also think, are there people who speak are better equipped, have better knowledge? So rather than like me trying to like tweet something, let me just retweet Hannah because, (laughs) you know, there's so much wisdom there. And so I just think those are sort of, that's kind of the thing for me. I think the main thing is like, am I adding and am I saying these things in a way that is bringing people along and and adding to their understanding? Um, Am I keeping the main thing the main thing for lack of a better word my my pastor's wife always says that remember to keep the main thing the main thing um and so am I keeping the main thing the main thing and those are kind of the internal things I run through that's so helpful because when I'm thinking about some of these conversations like as I'm thinking back over some that I've had that have been um points of of tension where someone I can tell on the other end of the conversation, they're feeling like, oh, this has turned political and I didn't want it to be political or I feel that way, like, oh my goodness, this has turned. What I realize is that in that tension moment when I want to say something to the effect of, oh, don't be so political, it's because it's maybe turned more partisan rather than issue and people focused. And that has helped me, especially over the last month or two, is to think through who are the people being affected by whatever the topic is. And if that person were here, how would I want this conversation to go? And very often, some of these difficult conversations or uncomfortable conversations, it's almost like the person being affected isn't even in the mix of the conversation and we're just pronouncing oh they think this and they think that and I'm thinking are they here like why who are these they people and so when I think about how we engage and don't be so political it's like oh not being political means don't group people and lump them together as if they're just this blob over there that doesn't really exist like they are there are people at stake here. And so I think keeping that human perspective has really helped me in conversation. Like don't, don't speak on somebody else's behalf, I guess. Um, Don't, don't speak into why someone's doing some, what they're doing or make assumptions about why, why someone has landed on a certain topic or stance. Um, That has really helped me in my engagement. And I would say also too, I mean, one of the things I'm like, it has become as, as the longer I'm approaching the end of my time in seminary is I think we want to proof text the Bible to make our point. And I would say the Bible is a set of principles, but there is no specific healthcare policy plan <laughs> in the Bible. The Bible does tell us to care for the poor. And there are all these kinds of structures and, and verses that kind of deal with, okay, what is a framework on which we could think about something like healthcare? But I think oftentimes in our rush to like make our point to like own the other side, we try to make the Bible say something it doesn't say. And I think then this is to your point where faithful Christians could disagree on what is the best method of getting health care or caring for the poor. But this idea that we are to care for the poor, I, we can't get away from that. And so, um, and, and that politics, you know, government, government systems is one way to care for the poor. 
I love, I love everything you're saying, Catherine, because I do think what I see more of online is that the conversation takes on a life of its own and it just does become this disembodied debate. And and people make their livelihoods off of creating debates that is completely detached from human community. And so, and that's my temptation too. My temptation is to um, win the argument. I have to acknowledge that. I, I love a good sparring contest and I love to win. But the check, like you said, is decentering myself, decentering my need to have this debate, my need to be heard, my need to be right, and, and realizing that even the conversation itself is a tool to serve my neighbor well both the person I'm speaking with, but also um, whatever issues or context we're discussing, it is not abstract. These are not abstractions. There, there are people who bear God's image at the center of these conversations. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. I think that is, and I think that's why, like, how you've been formed and how you understand your faith. So, like, why I laughed earlier is, like, I was like, okay, if I, I mean, that is, that informs your politics, right? Like, your idea of the Bible and your understanding of what it means to be created, what it means to be created in the image of God, does matter for how you talk about fellow image bearers, even when you disagree. And then, you know, this idea to love your neighbor. Well, politics is just one way, a public way of loving your neighbor. Um, And so to say, well, it doesn't matter, um, or I don't want to hear about that, or to think about it. I mean, I just, the thing that comes to mind for me is I have a friend that works for a crisis pregnancy center. And the way in which she talks about abortion and pro-life issues is so different than what you hear on the news and in these sort of, sort of very partisan debates about abortion. And it's because her conversation around those issues is rooted in her conviction, you know, that, you know, God values life and that abortion is a failure of good, but also in sitting with women who are, that it's not this, let me march down and, you know, or whatever. And so just the compassion and grace and the holistic, I don't know, she just talks about it so differently than what I think is very common that we hear in the news or read in talking points. And I just think for all Christians, um, we could have better political conversations if, if when we're speaking, we remember we're rooted in community, that it's not this disembodied thing, that these sort of policies, whatever they are, affect real people in real lives and whether it's for harm or for good. Um, and then I think also, too, this idea of like loving your neighbor, like then the, that the aim of our political engagements is really neighbor focused and not self focused. I mean, so. And then thinking about like what does it look like to be self-sacrificial, and so um, in in an, even in how we vote and whatever that means for you. But thinking through again, that's why I think the Bible, you know, is the framework for life. Like that should inform when you're in the voting booth and you're thinking through these issues. Um, what is the frame in which you've been given? And maybe it does. There's not a specific candidate's name. God's not going to go away if someone is elected and someone is not. <laughs> but, but it's a close I do. Call. It's, it, you know, you know, he was thinking. You know, you know, he was. You know, for a minute, he wasn't sure what he was going to do. Um, but I do think, like, what does it mean to be faithful? Um, 
to these very clear principles that we get in scripture. And I think faithful Christians will come down on different different policy sides and they'll come down on different issues. But I just, you know, my hope is that we could model more what it looks like to have embodied, compassionate, grace-filled conversations in community. yeah. Amen. Catherine, that is awesome. And I I I think that for this conversation to end on that note of that calling and that vision that this is what it could be and for us as Christians to be modeling that and practicing that. It's it's a high calling, but it's one that I really do think that our listeners will um be able to get a bit closer to that after listening in. So, thank you for being with us on persuasion for this. Yeah, this has been wonderful. Um, Well, that does it for this episode of persuasion. And and if you've missed any of those conversations in the series before now, I'll have them posted in the show notes. I'll make sure that you are um, linked up with all of Catherine's information so you can follow and uh, reach her in, in her conversations online. Yes, please do go find Catherine on Twitter. And while you're there, you can join us um, at Persuasion CAPC. We're there and love to chat through the conversations that we start on the podcast and we hope continue on long after we're done recording. If you are a member of Christ and Pop Culture, you can always find us in the members forum and you can find Catherine there as well. Um, And this is the kind of good conversation we get up to in there. So if you would like to consider becoming a member, you can do that for just $5 a month. And that supports not only the podcast that uh, Christ and Pop Culture produces, but all of the good content, the writing, um, the digital magazine, and just uh, the general purpose of having better conversation. We want to say thanks again to LifeWay's Christian Standard Bible for supporting this conversation. Persuasion is produced by Jonathan Clausen and is part of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. You can give all those shows a listen at ChristandPopCulture.com, or you can go over to iTunes and search for Christ and Pop Culture to find more shows there. We appreciate that you come and listen to Persuasion, and we will catch you next time. You have been listening to Persuasion with Aaron Straza and Hannah Anderson, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes, and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Maiden Name. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.